Well, thank you, Deirdre, and thank you, everybody, for being here tonight and joining us as we start our, our series on Ecclesiastes. Um, you know, as we're going into this series, we're talking a lot, as Deirdre gave that introduction, you know, we're, we're looking into wisdom and pursuing what wisdom is, and this is something that humanity has always been doing since humans emerged on this planet, right? It's been seeking wisdom, seeking the life that they were meant to live, and so we're, jo- we're kind of joining into this stream of conversations that have been going on every place, every people, every time. People have been seeking wisdom. And what's amazing about it, too, is that it's very unchanging. This, these ideas are pretty constant, but they feel very fresh and doesn't have anything to say about, this says much more about us than it does about these wisdom and how necessary it is for us to grow in this and to understand it. Because what wisdom is offering us is a path for life. What the author of Ecclesiastes and these wisdom literature within the Bible is offering is a path to walk down. It's offering us a type of life to live, a life that really reflects the reality of the world and that reflects God's plan for us and God's plan for human flourishing. A life that looks true, a life that actually reflects human experience. Because true wisdom is very complicated and oftentimes is contradictory. You know, Ecclesiastes, and we'll see here, you know, we're doing this intro of all of the book, but as we walk through it, we'll see it more clearly. But Ecclesiastes really reflects our own human experiences because our own human experiences are very contrary and, con- and conflict often, right? It doesn't, you don't have to look very far. You know, if you just look at your news feed, you scroll on anything, we see on the one hand, incredible joy, real joy, things to be joyful of and to take great news that people are rejoicing in. And then in the very next post, we see incredible injustice that makes us not want to celebrate or do anything. Or in the same things, we see an experience in our lives, right? Every day we experience incredible pleasure from incredible good things that God has given us. There are things that feel so good that make us feel good and happy, and we can go from feeling so good and so happy to within a matter of moments feeling so dejected or depressed or disappointed. Like the human experience is complicated and a roller coaster. And so for wisdom to be wisdom, it's going to have to be complex. It's going to have to be real and it's going to have to be deep. True wisdom is going to have to reflect our experiences and our hopes. It can't be simple. There are a lot of simple philosophies in our world today a lot of simple answers of this is it. If you just do this or follow these steps, you know, you'll have a good life. But they're ultimately very dis- dissatisfied because they just they don't, they don't work because what we need is something that actually reflects the complexity that we live in. So the path of wisdom and this path that we're going down and even understanding the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'd really just encourage you this week to read all of Ecclesiastes. You know, we're going to be in this now for the rest of the summer. Read the book. Studying wisdom, looking for wisdom is hard. It's work, but it's work because the payoff is worth it. The goal of Ecclesiastes, the goal of this series, the goal of what we're looking at, the goal that the author has for us is that we would be a people that are wise, that live wise lives, that we live a life that is beautiful and honest, not just knowing the truth, but actually living out the truth a wholehearted life before others and before God, right? Going back to the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, if we remember that from last year, was calling God's people to live this wholehearted life, 
Live wholeheartedly before the Lord. The wisdom literature now in Scripture gives us the instruction on what that actually looks like to live wholeheartedly before the Lord. And it takes work. It takes work and renewal of the mind to actually live a life that is beautiful, that lives a life that reflects God's plans and designs for us and for this world. And as we read tonight, and Deirdre did for us, you know, we, and as we're entering into this uh, the series, we're really starting from the end and going to go back in from the beginning, but we really wanted to give this bigger overview of the book of Ecclesiastes, because the author does is pretty straightforward in telling us, giving us a picture of what this life is. And simply put, the life that the author of Ecclesiastes is calling us to is a life that says, you should enjoy things, enjoy life, and fear God. Right? Sounds simple, but like we said, true wisdom is very complicated, <laughs> and that gets unpacked through lots of chapters and gets unpacked in all of our lives in lots of ways. But that there is nothing better than to find enjoyment in what God has given us. Right? That there's nothing better is going to be repeated several times throughout the book. There's nothing better than to enjoy the life that God has given while trusting and fearing him. These two things together. Enjoy God's gifts. Enjoy the things that God has given you and fear the Lord. God has designed us for enjoyment and he has given us good things to enjoy. There's nothing better, the author keeps saying. right? Meaning, there is nothing better. We were not made for anything other than this. This is the best thing for us. We were made to enjoy the things that God made for us. The things that all of us are pursuing, right? You don't have to look far. It's not just Christians. It's every human across the world is pursuing the same things. Work, relationships, beauty, food, and drink, right? Why is this? Why do we throw ourselves into these pursuits so much? Why do we give so much of ourselves to our work and to others, to relationships, to children, to beauty, to food, and to drink? And the reason that we pursue all these things is that we were made to pursue these things. When we are following God's design, we experience the fruit of that. We experience the good that comes from being part of those things. This was God's plan from the very beginning. In Eden, right, if we're going back to the Pentateuch before, all of these areas that the author is going to point out that we were meant to enjoy were all there at the very beginning. Work was there before the fall. Love and marriage was there before the fall. Food and drink was there before the fall. Beauty was there before the fall. Like, these things are good. We were made for this. We were made to enjoy the gifts that God has given us. We desire these things. We desire to enjoy the things of this world because we were made to enjoy the things of this world. Because these things were made for us and for our enjoyment. God has put eternity into our hearts, the author says. He has given us these good gifts, so we should pursue them and pursue him in them. But while God has given us eternity in our hearts, he's put eternity in there, he's given us a desire for all these things, there's also this just reality that we can't figure it out. It's unattainable still. There's a lot that is still outside of our control and our understanding. Right? It's complex. I desire beauty, but it's out of my reach. I desire eternity, but it's out of my, I don't understand how this is working out, especially in the face of injustice and constant disappointment. 
So the author tells us that God is over all things and will bring judgment, which leads us to fear the Lord. So the author is pretty clear. The call to all of us is to enjoy our lives and fearing God. So I want to unpack these just a little bit. Like, what does this look like to actually enjoy life? What does it look like to fear the Lord? And what is, why do we not do these things? Or what are the obstacles that stand between us? What it means to actually enjoy life. This is, it's, you know, surprisingly, again, this sounds straightforward. Enjoy your life and fear God. Yeah, that sounds great. But in practice, that's really hard. What does it actually mean to enjoy our lives? And what we see through Ecclesiastes, what we through 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 Scripture, to enjoy your life really means to appreciate God's gifts and rejoice in experiencing them. Actually enjoying your spouse, if you have a spouse. Enjoying your job, if you have a job. Right? Enjoying the time that you have on this earth. Enjoying the time off that you get from working hard. Enjoying your city and your neighborhood. Enjoying nature and recreation. Enjoying the amazing food and drink options that are all around us. It means enjoying these things that are all everywhere. To enjoy our lives is really this spirit of thankfulness and worship in the enjoyment of the world that God has made for us. It's enjoying, not just using things. And that's hard for us, especially in American society, or at least maybe for Christians to a certain degree, we're, we're good at using and have a harder time enjoying. We like the things that things give us without ever having to enjoy the thing itself. Right? If you just think of like work and food are good examples of this. These are two of the things that Ecclesiastes tells us to enjoy. Well, I work to get money, and the money gives me freedom, I don't have to ever enjoy my job. Well, that's an option. It's not a wise option. It's not a beautiful option. That life does not reflect what God has intended. There should be enjoyment of the work, too. Food, right? I, I don't need to enjoy food. I just need calories in my body. Yeah, I'm just fueling the machine. Well, that, that's an option. That's definitely a path you can go down. It's not a beautiful one, and nor does it reflect God's intention. There's no enjoyment. You just use things. And we have a very kind of consumer-using model where oftentimes we just use other people, use work, use food, use drink to medicate, whatever it may be. We use things rather than actually enjoying things. To enjoy gifts is to worship God, to enjoy the gifts that he has given us for the sake of enjoying them. Now, what does it mean to fear God? So as we enjoy these gifts from God, we're called to fear him. And to fear God is this really profound and sincere respect for God. It's a real recognition that he is the one that's in charge of everything and every person, including me. He is the one who is in charge. What he does endures forever, the author of Ecclesiastes says. What he does, no one can touch. He is the one who is ultimately in charge of all things. A sincere belief that he will bring judgment now and one day. One day, everything is going to be made, brought to light by him. He sees it all. I don't see it all. He's in charge. I'm not in control. If I sincerely believe that and fear this, right, that tempers me. And it tempers us in our lives. It pro- 
gives us self-control and helps us start to think of other people, this loving others, fearing the Lord. So this beautiful life of wisdom that we're being called is one of enjoying the blessings that God has given us while having faith and reverence for God as the giver of those gifts and the ultimate judge over us. So it really is a life of incredible enjoyment and joy and a life of serious and sincere worship, that those two things are held together. The author is going to lay out all of this throughout the book, but we see this through this overarching picture that we have to kind of really wrestle with up front, that this is the call, because we experience the complex realities of our lives. We see these joys, we get it, we hear that enjoying life, and we can imagine it and think about it, and yes, there's a lot of things to enjoy. We also know that there's a lot of pain and disappointment, and there's things that we've experienced that are painful and unjust, so how am I supposed to enjoy it? It's hard. Holding these two things in tension is really actually hard to do because we do vacillate between them pretty quickly, if we're honest with ourselves. Right? Many of us, right, if you think of yourself in these two camps, right, many of us are really good at enjoying life without fearing God. That comes naturally to many of us. We can celebrate and enjoy things. Never have a problem doing that. Right? We celebrate, we enjoy, without ever really thinking about the giver of those gifts, without thinking of the consequences of our decisions. We use, we consume. We often are very generous, but we don't have a lot of self-control. We lack a respect or fear, and we have a very hard time dealing with the disappointments in life. When things get hard, for many of us, right? We like to run right to those comforts of enjoyment. That feels good, and I enjoy this. Things are hard right now. I can go right back in. Food, drink, absolutely. Hard work, yeah, let me throw myself into work. A relationship, absolutely. That feels great. Like It's normal and natural to do that. And many of us are really trained at this. Our world and our culture trains us in this way. These things are good. Go for it, and it'll make you feel good. And it does. So we throw ourselves to those things, but with very little fear of the Lord involved in it. Now, many of us, though, are also guilty of being very good at fearing God and having a much harder time of actually enjoying life or enjoying God's gifts. We are reluctant celebrators. We worry and we fear. We hoard and we save We try and control our circumstances because we are also overwhelmed by fear of things not going well. We don't wait for things to not go well and then get overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by just the thought that things will go badly. And so we try to control and create nest eggs or make sure that can't happen to us. We celebrate modestly. We give reluctantly, always kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. I won't use that all because I'm going to need it. And with both of these, we know life is complicated and hard, so we choose to either kind of ignore the complications and the hardship of life and just throw ourselves into the pleasures of the world and the enjoyment of these things, or we choose to fear and take control ourselves. 
So this life of wisdom that Ecclesiastes is outlining is actually really hard and rare. It's difficult to do. It's difficult to walk in this reality. So what keeps us from this? Well, what keeps us from enjoying life? If you're in that camp where it's a little harder to be enjoying the gifts of God, what keeps us from being able to enjoy God's gifts? And there are a lot of things, but I think it really comes down to our fear. We have a lot of fear, and out of our fear, we try hard to control our circumstances the best we can. There's all kinds of fears. If we're honest with ourselves, we are a tangle of fear all the time. I can find something to be afraid of and be overcome by my fears. There's earthly fears. I mean, we genuinely just love the things of the world and are afraid of losing them. I love my home. I love my car. I love this. I love these things, and I don't want to lose it, and I'm afraid of losing this stuff, and we hoard. We have fears of judgment. What will people think of me if I bought that? What would think of people think of me if I ate at this restaurant? What would people think of me if I did... Oh, right, and we have this like kind of middle class celebratory style of like, you know, it's okay to celebrate, but if it, as long as it's within a budget, or if I can, I have something really nice, I, at least if I can tell you I got it on sale, it's totally fine, but if I had to pay full price, that, oh man, what will you think of me that I spent my money on something like that? Right? We have this fear, fears of judgment that really make us reluctant to spend, to do, to celebrate. And then we also just have strong religious fears. Depending on our culture and our upbringing and backgrounds, I mean, we have a lot of fears when it comes to the Lord. We don't really believe that God has good for us deep down. We actually think that these gifts he's given are more of a trap or a test. And that if I love these things too much or enjoy this too much, he's just going to take it away from me. So I don't want to I don't want to test him with this. I'll keep everything's at arm's reach. I'll be in moderate. I'm not going to do this. I won't enjoy. It's fear. And fear robs us of our ability to enjoy. And it takes away our worship of the Lord. We're like petulant little children who refuse to play with the toys our father gave us, right? You know, it's, we won't worship God because we won't enjoy, because we don't really think he's given them to us to enjoy. Now, what keeps us from fearing God? For some of us, we're in that camp. And honestly, right, if we're honest with ourselves, we're just selfish. And it's easy to be selfish. And for some of us, we just lack understanding, too. We've never been taught. We've never been trained in any other way. We're often too simple, the Bible would say. Right? In Proverbs was to move from being, no longer being simple. We're too easily satisfied by the things of this world. We love the things of this world and how they make us feel. Work, love, right? Food and drink, beauty, we love it. We love how it makes us feel when we enjoy these things. It's intoxicating, right? And many of us have been, all of us, right, have been intoxicated by one of these, all of these things at some point because they feel good. To be in love with someone feels good. To have a job you enjoy feels good. To have a great meal and great drinks feels good. And we're often very simple in that we enjoy that so much that we train ourselves to just throw ourselves into it and enjoy it all the time. And we fail to see the destructive power at work in these things because we're caught up in it. 
selfishness robs us of our enjoyment of these things. Because as we throw ourselves into them more and more and more and become so intoxicated by the things of this world and what they give us, we no longer enjoy it. Right? And all of us have been in this place. Now we just need it. I need this so much that it's no longer enjoyable. It becomes who we are. We don't believe that there's a God that we will all answer to one day in those moments. <laughs> we don't think of God. We think of ourselves. Or if we do think of God, we have a very soft picture of God that doesn't produce a lot of fear. Enjoyment without the fear of the Lord is just misplaced worship. So how do we hold these positions in tension, right? How do we actually enjoy the gifts God has given us without turning them into ultimate things? How do we enjoy the gifts God has given us and still fear the Lord? This life of joy and a life of worship in all circumstances that's both fulfilling and joyful for us because that's obviously part of the call for God's people is that we would enjoy our lives, but that's also winsome and true to the world that watches our lives as well, that we live lives that reflect God's plan and his beauty and his order, right? How do we do this? How do we hold this intention? And it really comes down to worship. Either we worship God or we don't worship God. Because really both of those, when we go to those extremes, we're not worshiping God. Enjoying life without fearing him is not worshiping him. It's worshiping the things he gives, which is not satisfying and leads to destruction, which many of us have experienced. Right? As we go down those paths, it doesn't help. It's not good. Now, fearing God without enjoying the gifts that he gives is also not worshiping God. It's refusing to worship even though we acknowledge his gifts. Maybe it's even a worse position than the other, right? To be in that place where you know who the giver of these gifts are and you still refuse to use them to enjoy them. It's not a lack of knowledge, but a willful rejection of God's blessings. So in both cases, it's really a misplaced worship or a lack of worship and trust of the Lord. So what we need, we need hearts that can actually worship God and can actually worship him and fear him and trust him in the midst of our enjoyment of this world. And the author tells us to enjoy our lives while we wait for that day when God will reveal everything and bring judgment. Right? Waiting for that day of judgment. Waiting for the day of the Lord to come when everything will be finally made right. And now for the author of Ecclesiastes, that day was still to come. And for us, it still is to come when God comes in his fullness. But he, he also did. Right? For those of us on this side of of Jesus Christ, right? And as Christians, we have Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus, into this world. And if you look at the life that Jesus lives, he lives the life that is directed in Ecclesiastes. He lives it. He's the only one. There's no one wise in this world, right? Only one who is actually wise. Jesus was the only one who lived this life of wisdom. He worked, he ate, he drank, and he drank the good stuff, Right? If you know that story of the wine, he didn't drink the cheap wine, he drank the good wine. Right? He enjoyed his life, he shared all good things with others, he valued his friendships, he found joy in all of his circumstances, and he also wept and got angry in the midst of injustice. He got the complexities of life. He lived this life of beauty and of, real, of reality, enjoying the gifts that God had given but seeing the injustice and the hurt and the pain, he suffered the disappointments of being rejected and left alone 
by his friends, the injustice of the criminal justice systems. He went through it all and had faith and worshiped God, sincerely trusting him through it all. I mean, he is the model, right? He is the fulfillment of this picture of the wise life that's given in Ecclesiastes. And he didn't just come as this example for us to try to live up to, right? He came and he also made things right because he took the judgment for us on himself, for all of our misdeeds and all of our lack of worshiping God. Because how can I enjoy life, our lives, without being overcome by this fear? Because Jesus has made me right with God. I no longer live in fear. I still have fear, but now it's the good fear, the biblical fear. There's a reverence. There's a healthy fear. I'm not in fear of God sending me to hell. I'm in fear of God because of my respect and my awe of him and his power and his glory and his justice and what he has done on my behalf. Of course I care about what he thinks of me. There's a reverence and a desire to please him out of love. When we confess our sins and accept forgiveness of God, our hearts get softened and our capacity to worship is increased. We become more wise. Right? Becoming wise is not a one-step deal of flip the switch. You taught me this thing and now I am wise. It's not a one-time, once-for-all transaction. Now, the work of Jesus is a one-time, once-and-for-all transaction, but the work of walking down this path of wisdom, walking in this life that Christ has now given to us, is hard and requires work. Walking in Jesus, right, Paul will say in Colossians, this is hard. It takes effort and it takes work. Because we have options. That's the thing about wisdom. The wisdom is always presented to people in the, hey, you've got options. You've got paths if you want to go down them. You can try living a life without acknowledging God, right? And a lot of us may be down that path right now or have gone down that path. Say, yeah, I enjoy life and I don't acknowledge a creator. I don't fear the Lord. That's an option. You can live that life. You can walk down that path. You can go down the path, though, of also not enjoying the gifts that God has given. Go down that path of, like, I just work for money. I just eat for calories. I just do, I, I'm not in this whole enjoyment deal. That sounds weird. That's an option. You don't have to enjoy the gifts God has given you. That's a path you can walk down. Or you can also walk down this path of faith, which means confessing our sins, experiencing forgiveness, and living in freedom. The call of Ecclesiastes, the call of wisdom to the reader, and you're, we're going to hear this as it keeps going as we go through the wisdom literature. I mean, wisdom is crying out in the streets, right? Try it. Try it. <laughs> try this path. Try walking down the path of wisdom. Maybe you're tired of the path that you're on, right, if you're honest with yourself. Say, like, I'm, I'm tired of being miserly, or I'm tired of being foolish. Maybe you're just starting down a path, but you recognize, I need a lot more instruction on what this is actually going to look like. Or maybe you're a ways down the path, but you're still trying to figure out what it looks like, which is all of us, overcome by fear. The thing about wisdom and life is that as you progress, and this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is going to bring up and more and more, the more he experiences, the more he does, the more he recognizes his need of this God who is over all things, who is going to take care of all things and reconcile all things because how much we really just don't 
know. God has put eternity in the heart. Man, I don't get it. But thankfully, we have someone who does, who is very near to us. Wisdom can be sought. Wisdom can be pursued. We can seek after the one who has designed us and called us and redeemed us. Wisdom is a life that God has given us all to live, but it does require work, it does require prayer, and it does require honesty. Honesty with God and honesty with ourselves. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have just not left us in the dark, grasping for the life that you've called us to live. Lord, we thank you for wisdom. Lord, we thank you for your son that you sent to redeem us and to bring us to you. And Lord, we just pray that you will strengthen us. We recognize how much we need your help and your strength. The challenges are in front of us all the time. The challenge to live wisely in a world that is so disordered and complicated and confused and we feel complicated and confused. Lord, we're just so thankful, Lord, that you are not confused and that, Lord, you are with us and that you are guiding us. So, Lord, please continue to strengthen us and lead us in wisdom. Lord, help us to put on more and more faith, to put off the sin that so easily entangles us, Lord, and to experience that forgiveness and the freedom that comes from being in you, uh, to enjoy the life that you have called us to enjoy. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.